0: I've got two questions that I ask everyone that I'd like to ask you as well, Uh, and so we'll we'll, we'll get through those uh, now. Um, First off, on the subject of the 1918 Great Flu, um, what are the essential readings that we absolutely must be looking at? And I'll add these to the show notes as well, but if you've got any that you just want to rattle off and tell us to go to the the bookshop and buy.
1: Sure. So um, everybody probably knows about John Barry's book, uh, the great uh, influenza, uh story of the deadliest pandemic in history. Uh, one that you might not know about um, is American Pandemic uh, by a historian named Nancy Bristow. And a lot of the social history that, that I'm referring to, some really great uh, work um, is in there. And she excavates, for instance, um, what happened uh, in Native schools uh, and how horrible the treatment was of Indigenous people who had been basically warehoused into those into those schools. Um, and then a number of other um, social historical accounts. There's a, a fun roundtable that I put together, a pl- self-plug here, uh, but I'm not the only scholar involved, um, with a number of great scholars uh, that's open access on the Journal of the Gilded Age and Progressive Era uh, on understanding the COVID-19 crisis in light of the influenza pandemic. And I'm working on one now about um, the aftermath of the 1918 pandemic, what what was the kind of long tail of that moment. Um, You know, there's a a bunch of other books that I rely on. Um, uh, Laura Spinney has one, um, Pale Rider. and, uh, you know, uh, the classic old older book is Alfred Crosby's uh, Forgotten Pandemic, um, and, and I think it's useful to go back to that literature to think about, you know, what it may be missed uh, about um, some of the things we, we've been talking about in this, in this conversation. You know, why, why was it forgotten? Was it actually forgotten? And what are the kind of source bases that you look at um, to understand where the flu really had significant effects? If you're looking at that social history, that's the kind of things that Nancy Bristow talks about in American Pandemic. If you're looking at um, literature and art, uh, you find it a lot more there. Um, and I think um, the, the scholars who looked at sort of the question questions like, for instance, Woodrow Wilson never mentioning the flu. Uh, they missed the fact that the flu ravaged uh, so many lives created, you know, for instance, 45,000 orphans in the state of Pennsylvania alone just in 1918. I mean, you know, every one of those lives and all of the lives that were touched by that. Um, couldn't, it absolutely could not forget, they could not forget the flu pandemic, right? Um, and, and so it, it seems kind of naive to talk in those terms anymore, particularly having lived through this one.
0: Yeah, that's that's amazing. I'm gonna put all of these, uh, all, the, all of the books and links that you've mentioned up onto the show's notes so people can get to them because I think, uh, I think there's a rich, and, and going back to old texts about this does really, I think, help us see the lessons that we have or haven't learned uh, over the last hundred years all right, the last question is about an object. And as, uh, as a great fan of the Guild Age and Progressive Era, what objects do you think help tells the story of this period of American experience? Well, so I'll give you, I'll go with two. How's that sound? Um, so one, one that
1: I would choose from the 1918 flu pandemic, uh, would be a cross section of a lung from that era. Um, and there's, there's some of these, there's great images, um, actually the Smithsonian of of the cross sections of lungs to see the kind of damage that was done by them. And then you can cross reference. So this is the influenza pandemic in that era, uh, that, that the viral mutation of fall 1918, um, filled people's lungs with fluid. Um, sort of called a cytosine storm. Your 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 uh, immune system fighting itself and and really um, overwhelming your body. Uh, and doctors who saw this um, were shocked when they opened up uh, the bodies and saw how how badly damaged the lungs were. And and so looking at both the cross section of a lung. Um, you know, as it might be understood by medical professionals, and then thinking of it in the terms we've been talking about since the outset of this suffering and those who live through, right? How many lungs were damaged? How many lives were altered irreparably, even if they weren't lost? Um, And that's something that occurs to me all the time when I think about COVID. Like, who's come through this? Maybe asymptomatically, problems later in life related to this. So that's one, a cross-section of a lung from 1918. Another very different point, but I think it's a good one, and it opens up all kinds of good questions, which you'll probably be dealing with on the podcast, would be um, a, hopefully we can get a link to it, Uh, the glass fishbowl style ballot box, this is one of my favorite things to teach and think about. So it was patented in the 1850s. Um, and the idea was to make elections more transparent. So there has been so much corruption in American elections and the Gilded Age of Progressive Era is all about corruption uh, and, um, and fraud and all kinds of things. So, you know, And that's really what the, the book um, by Twain and Warner calling the era of the Gilded Age is about, um, is corruption. Uh, so this, this, this uh, vis- making visible the ballot Um is fascinating in that era, but it also opens up questions about um, it, it it would expose the ballot and who you'd voted for there, right? So you drop it in into this glass bowl, but then it would be pretty obvious. What's more, in that era, it opens up other artifact questions, right? The, the, these glass fishbowl style ballot boxes, um, the ballots themselves in many places until the 1880s um, were non-standard. And so your party would give you something like a Republican ballot would be red and would have, you would just, check off all the all of the people on there that you know and you wouldn't vote for anybody else and so you could you one it would be visible so actually it's the opposite of the intent of having a full transparent ballot process and two it brings up questions of who and what counts you know so if you're thinking about this era the some of the most important moves of this era coming out of the civil war or the 13th 14th and 15th amendments you know enfranchising the previously enslaved the role of women so you see all kinds of political cartoons in this era with a fishbowl um ballot and women saying they can hold that and they can hold a cradle like women should get the vote because they can do both things at the same time and you see the fishbowl ballot being broken with sledgehammers by uh, previously enslaved people saying you know destroying that that question of visibility invisibility um and and, uh, and then, you know, whether or not some of those are that that destruction is like the redemption of the South, the white redeemers pushing back against them as being incapable of, of the vote, and others saying that is, in fact, the future of American democracy, um, that, that making visible um, the invisible and having everyone enfranchised is the best path forward. And so I feel like it just encapsulates all these really interesting dimensions of You know secrecy and the ballot and democracy and who who and what counts as a citizen, corruption, you know fraud, Um, and you know lest we think that these these assertions about fraud today are are meaningful in American democracy and politics. You know back then there was actual rampant fraud and you know this this stuffing literally stuffing ballot boxes. Some of these fishbowl things had a secret trap door below so you could push up through there (laughs) uh, fraudulent ballots. I mean and then those get discovered and, and the patents change. There's all kinds of amazing stories
0: related to this um that, that are worth worth playing out and politicians admit to that they say i stop ballot boxes you know a uh, glass or not i suppose but um it's i, I imagine there's got to be some great cartoons out there with the glass bowl and maybe a uh, goldfish swimming around in it or what what i mean there's got to be some fantastic political cartoons out there with that the it's a brilliant are, image chris yes, really good absolutely
1: Yeah, and it's the era of the political cartoon. I mean, uh, you'll probably spend a lot of this podcast talking political cartoons.
0: (laughs) Political cartoons are now definitely on the list. Chris, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been a real pleasure.